a doctor in the house. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. I think it's Dr. Batar's belly. There he is in his scrubs. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. <laughs> Like it, I love it, but we couldn't see your abs. You were just covering them up in your uh, your your. What do they call that stuff? Scrubs. Scrubs. Yeah, yeah. That's all. That's all you can see, Robert, because my abs are not the way they used to be. Oh right, all right, Mister Incredible Hulk. There, uh, it, there is. Uh, well, you know what? I can't comment on this new movie. I finally did see it, uh, the End Game, but I want to make funny jokes about it. But I don't want to spoil it. Super Don will just zap me immediately. He hasn't seen it yet either. But uh, Doctor Batar. Uh, talking about uh, endgame scenarios, the vaccines are going to bring it on. I mean, we don't need Thanos to snap his finger. People are willingly subjecting themselves to things that are going to shorten their lifespan, certainly cause their lifespan, health span to be shorter too, not just their lifespan, but the quality of life by injection. And again, it's not the snap of a, a supervillain uh, fingers. It's really coming from people's ignorance and fear and unwillingness to do research and homework and talk and discuss and then stand on principle to say, no, you shall not pass talking about my layers of skin with what you want to inject me or my kids with. Yeah, this has been something that I've read some pretty interesting articles. In fact, one of those was, I think Del Bigtree put out and you had reposted the tweet about the nurse, the RN that had been a pro vaccine RN. You know what I'm talking about? We covered it extensively yesterday on the show. Uh, we actually had audio clips of this woman talking about the fact that she was attacked and ostracized and like her kids were fully vaccinated and her daughter had mumps at college where it happens all of the time. And now it's now a you know, national emergency. But the irony, of course, is if fully vaccinated uh, populations like the Navy ship that's still quarantined at sea with Marines on it, 100 percent compliance with the MMR uptake, yet all of them are getting mumps. Yeah. And it proves that it has nothing to do with the lack of vaccination because the vast majority of the people that are having these outbreaks, as you said, have already been vaccinated. In fact, it was interesting that there was a study that was done here, I believe last year, and then in New Zealand, they just did a similar study with all the outbreaks. The one here, I think, was done by a doctor in California. It wasn't so much a study, but they just basically took the cases of the people that had the, the uh, breakout with the measles, and then when they did the titers to see what strain it was, none of these people, the, the researcher in New Zealand, or the physician in New Zealand and the physician here in the United States, when they did their titers, the, the titers were not of the wild type that you see naturally occurring. They were of the synthetic version that's used for the inoculations. So they were obviously people that had been either one, vaccinated and, the, and it caused basically a flare because it's always the potential of getting the disease that you're trying to vaccinate against, right? Mm-hmm. From, the, from the actual vaccination. Or oh, the other thing was they picked up the virulent strain was actually the synthetic version that's used during the vaccination process from somebody else that had been vaccinated. So there was a viral shedding, if you will, from the person that had been inoculated. Funny you should mention that because, you know, when I ask you, I wonder if Dr. Batar opened his email and read all the stories Super Don set. This is the number one story right now that you just you just went right into vaccine strain measles from MMR vaccine. It's a question on the vaccine reaction. 
Uh, it's a big story, and there have been at least two reported cases of children with measles in the United States this year that have turned out not to be wild-type measles at all. The right. two kids in Oakland County and, and Washington, Washtenaw County in Michigan, both kids exhibited measles symptoms, initially tested positive, but they retested, and genotype lab testing showed, hey, it was the vaccine strain, not the wild strain. And this has been an argument for us, many of us have been making for years. Unless you're really testing this, you're probably not seeing many wild-type strains of measles unless maybe it is coming from Israel and unvaccinated populations. Well, it's very, very rare, first of all. And the second thing is that it, you know, this, is, this is the inconvenient truth, if you will, right, Robert? It's not convenient to talk about the strain of the virus that's causing the problem because if the truth were known, widely disseminated, that it's actually the vaccine version that's causing it, not the wild type, which is naturally occurring, then, of course, the argument now that the pro-vaccine industry is making would just go right out of the window. Yeah. Now, there's a person on Instagram that made a post. Um, they're actually somebody that have been following me for probably 12 years, not on Instagram, but just uh, my work. And when I came on, they had, I don't know, they've got 30, 40,000 members. And actually sent me a message and saying how, you know, my book had a great influence on their life. And they this made some really awesome comments. And I had no idea that there was a, probably about half a dozen of these people out there with big followings that have been my fans. And they're like sending people my way on Instagram. One of them, it's called Beware the Needle. But one of them posted a video clip of a congressman. I believe it's a, a congressman. I believe it's a federal level congressman. And this man, it is the most, he, his voice breaks. And he says from the heart that, I can't vote for this bill about the, about basically taking care of uh, getting rid of all the exemptions. And he said it has nothing to do with the vaccine and non-vaccine. He said the issue is that we are on a very slippery slope, and this is the beginning of the end of the freedom of choice. And if you're talking about he, – he talked about he's a Republican, and he said, I was very adamant against gay marriages. And he's talking to the Democratic Party, and he says, you know, but you softened my heart and let me see, and this has gone to the Supreme Court, and now – you know, it's it's not my business what, you know, it's, it's a fundamental right to choose who you want to love, who you want to marry. And he said, but how can we say now, how can we question the fundamental right of deciding what's going to go in your body? What's going to actually go into your own system and to give the state the right over your body? He said, we are, this is the end of freedom. And then, he, then he's looking at the Democrats and he says, be better than what I was be better than what we are. You know, don't get rid of these freedoms because this, this is where it all starts. Because once it starts, you're just mm -hmm. going straight down. There's no stopping. There's no traction. You can't claw your way back up the hill. Well, excuse me. I'm very sorry. Fundamental at, aspect. At, at the risk of having people hate on me on the religious uh, freedom issue related to gay marriage, I've called for a separation of of marriage and state. Period. Uh, you know, marriage should be a, a religious institution as it always was. And if you want to get married. Find a church that supports your marriage if you want to get married in a church, for instance, like that. And I said, you know what? The divorce rate in most churches is not that great. That gay people, why would you want that, right? But okay, you want to get married, fine. Even uh, Jonathan Emord, our friend, constitutional attorney, very conservative, probably personally, I'm not going to speak for him, but might not believe in, in this thing called gay but, but said, listen, if you have a religious institution that, that supports it, then go for it. It's not the, it's, it should not be at all the purview of government to determine who gets married or not, other than protecting, well, I, obviously, see, those here. that are underage. He's, but. 
listen to what you just said, though. Yeah. You, you said that it's not the right of the government. You're absolutely right. But why does it have to be part of the religion? It doesn't have to be that. Any, anyway, you can sure, you can con- contract, exactly. enter into a co- like my wife and I have said this, Rashi. You know my wife. We we covenanted. We we got married by covenant. We didn't ask for permission. We didn't ask for a license, a permission slip from government to get married. I was like, well, why do they have anything to do with this? That's right. And of course, you know, if if you go or a member of any church, synagogue, mosque, whatever, a temple, if it's a five hundred one c three church, unfortunately. They've subjugated themselves to government authority, and then they say, you have to have a license or else we can't marry you. I'm like, dude, that is so wrong. But again, I get it. You know, these organizations want to get big. They want to try to play along with government, but they don't need to. The Constitution itself says that religious institutions are not subject to government rule and edict. But again, that's... I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Well, you know, it just brings a side note. Um, my friend Bruce Lipton, Dr. Lipton, who you know too, Robert. Yes. Um, I was talking to him. He and his uh, wife, Margaret, he told me that they've been together 23 years. And they actually, he didn't get formally married. He said he didn't go out and get a license. They actually went to a native uh, traditional tribe. Uh, they did a tribal wedding. And, and a na- I don't remember what the, uh, what the native tradition was. I think it was American Indian. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said it was the most incredible, the most beautiful, the most blissful wedding you can imagine but it was done in the native tradition so there's no license I, I guess it would be similar to what you said yeah that, it's a spiritual you know, union uh exactly. you know and, and again somewhere along the line dr batar we lost our way as a people to think that we have to ask permission for of government for everything we do and that includes in medicine right yeah. this idea that we can't move about the earth cabin much less the american cabin unless we're fully vaccinated with yeah. things now that they're acknowledging are causing problems, even if they don't want to acknowledge it, it's you know it's factual anyway. And in right. the case of the vaccines uh, for MMR, that they're shedding this vaccinia virus that is now manifesting as measles, which is not wild type measles. In fact, the Susan Ringler, I'm going to show everybody visually this article once again. Susan Ringler Cerniglia or Cerniglia, spokesperson for the Washtenaw County Health Department was quoted as saying it the vaccine strain virus can give that false positive like measles but it can't be transmitted and spread you cannot get measles from the vaccine but what's the point if it's shedding a strain that's unique to the vaccine of saying well okay it's not technically wild type of uh, uh, measles but it's manifesting just the same way kind of like people that claim they get the flu from the flu shot and they say that's not possible well whether it is or isn't is irrelevant the the symptoms are the same sometimes even worse well it usually is worse usually yeah. it is very, you know, significantly worse and you know the story that i've talked before is i think it you've told me before it's your your favorite story that i tell but basically the only two times i've ever had the flu in my entire life were the two times that i got the flu shot when i was still active duty yes and other than that I've never gotten the flu. And if you ask an audience of more than 100 people to raise their hands if they've ever had a flu shot and then had the flu, you will see remarkable 25, 30% routinely would go up, sometimes even more than that. So it's kind of interesting that one out of four, one out of three people have actually gotten the flu after they got the flu shot within a day, two days, a week, you know. If you've gotten the flu shot, then why would you get the flu if the flu shot was effective? And here's the thing. The flu shot, you know, the market, as you've heard me say before, Robert, I think we talked about this a couple of years ago on, on, the, on the air. Mm-hmm. When you look at the financial markets, you can go up, you can go down, or you can stay the same. And they have been 
you know, people that have been successful at predicting that. But as a whole, the vast majority of people can't predict that. And the governmental models and, you know, the um, all the statistical analysis, they, they're not accurate at predicting whether the market's going to go up, down, or stay in the middle. Now you've got 5,000 different strains of virus plus another 5,000 strains of 10,000 or 20,000 that haven't even been discovered yet. And you're telling me that somehow the Centers for Disease Control and the big and Big Pharma can predict which strain of virus is going to be the most virulent form yes. the following year? You know how they do it? It's the, one, it's the one they have a vaccine for. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly. how they do it. That's exactly what it is. We have a vaccine for that. Oh, this is the one. This is yeah. going to be it. The big one. Yeah. And then when then when they run out of supplies, this happened a number of years ago. This happened back in, I think, 2010 or so. They really, really, the propaganda machine went into full, full effect. And they did a remarkable job at trying to scare the people. So now that there was this big, big fear of the flu that was coming. And then they didn't predict that they were going to run out of the flu shot. So what happens? And all these people are panicking because they want to get the flu shot. And the Centers for Disease Control, I don't know whether you remember, this came out and said, oh, it's not going to be as bad as we thought because it ran out of all the ran batches. Ran out of the anymore. batches, right? Well, we don't have anything more to sell. So, hey, look, the strain's not so bad. Relax, yeah. chill out. Or in the case of uh, the recent measles scare, we've got a lot of flu. Oh, no, measles, MMR, it's about to go expired. Ah, put the word out. We got to sell these because if we don't, we're going to lose our budget for next year. This wow. is how it's played. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's, it's yeah, amazing. that's exactly how it's played. Hey, and it's I wanna, a shame because people are being injured from this game that they're playing. Very much so. And, and speaking, of, I want to ask you about a story I covered last hour. It's about a Navy recruit, the second female Navy recruit going through basic training, Navy boot camp, this in Illinois, that has died this year. Uh, cardiac arrest, they're claiming. Another young woman of 20 years age, this one was 18, died. Now they say it's following uh, the running portion or physical exertion. And we know that can happen. You can push beyond your limits. But... We also know what happens when you go to boot camp. Roll up your sleeve, and they're going to hit you with how many shots, even if you're fully vaccinated prior to arriving at boot camp. And how does that affect your ability to exert to the level that they expect in boot camp? Are they even going to investigate the, the potential risk of all of these vaccines prior to putting yourself in borderline life-and-death scenarios of exertion? Well, you know that they're not going to do that. They're going to send soldiers into battle with outdated mop gear when i was a cadet you know the whole thing was you had 13 seconds to don level one mop and level two mop you had a whole minute which is the four different pieces of protective gear including the gas mask and yet when we were going through our education this is as a cadet we were told that what the russians were using in 19 in the 1970s and the early 1980s was already um was already able to go through mop four if you had you know the full one minute to put everything on in about three seconds to five seconds would eat through mop four gear so the question then of course as cadets we posed was when why are we training soldiers to hit all these standards with mop one and so many seconds and mop two mop three mop four if what they're already using for chemical warfare it, you know makes it completely obsolete and the reason that was given was because you don't want the soldiers to be aware that they're going into a situation that there's no win. So, so it's, uh, it's for their psychological benefit for them not to know. What about their life, you know, psychological benefit? You were looking out for the psychological benefit for what? To, to lead the lambs to slaughter? And this has been happening. This is just with the mop stuff. So we know that based on Garth um, Nicholson, Garth, uh, Wilson, uh, Nicholson, Nicholson right? yeah, not Garth Brooks. 
Garth right. Nichols. Garth Nicholson, who did the uh, wrote the book Project Daylily, and he was the head of laboratory division at MD Anderson. And they were doing a lot of experimentation with vaccines on two subpopulations. One was uh, inmates, Harris County uh, jail system, and the other ones on soldiers. And so the experimentation on, on in human life, doing it on soldiers and inmates, they don't care about deciding or determining if this actually is going to affect the troops. They're just going to do the vaccines. These are you know, casualties of, uh, of the training exercises, whatever, and just jot it up. It's one or two deaths. They're not going to even worry about investigating it. But, of course... You've got emotional, psychological stress. You've got the cortisol levels. They're in a sympathetic mimetic overdrive. Mm-hmm. You know, the fight-fight response is going there. Now you hit them with a whole bunch of different vaccines. They're going to suppress their immune system. And then you throw them into an exertional situation that's going to further separate them from, from being in a state of relaxation to a state of fight-fight. Because now you're mm-hmm. already there from a mental standpoint. Now physically you're throwing them into it. And now chemically you're exposing them to these, you know, additives and all these other preservatives and all the 10-year devices, all these different things that the immune system is already too weak. I'm looking at uh, Super Don just did a little research for us to find out what vaccines you're going to hit, hit with when you join the military. Right. When you accede to it, adenovirus, influenza, meningococcal, MMR, Tdap, and chickenpox. And uh, during the first or second half of collective training, then Hep A, Hep B, and polio, if needed, and other vaccines based on risk. So uh, it, it's it's a veritable cocktail of experiments. And that's why I, I've said this about my son. He would be a, a great candidate for the military. He's a soldier, got, got that mindset. He's willing to defend his country, right? Not afraid of the firearms and all of that. But we talked about it and he said, you know what? The moment you go in, the military takes ownership of your body and turns it over, not to the military industrial complex, but to the pharmaceutical industrial complex and experiments upon you as if, you, you know, before you get in the field of battle where bullets might be flying at you, they're shooting you. They're shooting you with syringes or air guns filled with things that have no evidence of safety or efficacy. Well, they're they're using soldiers as fodder, first of all. So then that's a natural place to start your experimentation because they're already seeing them as casualties of war. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's to me. I, I have a I have a really, really deep seated abhorrence now for the way that system works, having been a soldier and having been in those types of situations and seeing how um, vested people become from an emotional, psychological, spiritual standpoint, defending the country. Even, you know, I was part and parcel of that same group that got brainwashed into believing that everything that I was doing for was God and country. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you take off your, you have to take off your U.S. flag off your uniform and take off your dog tags, you, know, you don't think as a soldier, well, wait a second, why am I taking off my American flag and why am I taking off my dog tags? You know, because if, God forbid, circumstance, unforeseen circumstances were to occur, U.S. forces could not be acknowledged in those areas. But we don't think at that time that, wait a second, why are we still taking off our dog? I mean, if, if U.S. forces can't be acknowledged there, then maybe we shouldn't be there in the first yeah. place. You know, that, that part doesn't go through your head because you're a young soldier and you're, you're gung-ho and you're following the orders and you're there because for God and country, et cetera, et cetera. It's later on in life that you start thinking, wait a second, what the hell did I do? You know, the fact that things that happened in the first Iraq war and the people that I know that were personally, that were personally responsible for setting those fires in, in Kuwait and in, in the oil fields. You know, these were soldiers. These were American soldiers. They were tasked for this. So when people say, oh, that's ridiculous, I can give you the name and the rank and the address of the, of the person, the first sergeant that was in charge of the detail that set over 300 of those fires himself. And he told me, he said, we set them. He was part of the 3rd Ranger Battalion. He said, we set those. 
we had six dune buggies uh, issued to us. And what did we use? We used that as justification to go into, into the war because of the Iraqis were burning the oil wells for the Kuwaitis, yet we set those fires. So we know that we will use soldiers for whatever we need them. And if they, if they can be fodder for fire, then why wouldn't yeah. they be used fodder for experimentation with human vaccines? Sure, and that's the other issue I have with uh, the military as it is today. Is it answering to, uh, you know, constitutional, uh, you know, duties? Or is it answering to globalists who have usurped or have become part of this deep state agenda to use the United States and its people and its military for yeah. an agenda that is not unique or even in... Uh, defense of American liberty, uh, you know, the things that we would stand up for because we really believe in it. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, Robert. It's it's for a totally different nefarious uh, agenda. We have to safeguard our soldiers. We have to safeguard our children. And, you know, I, I, I love the military, but I would never, ever let my kids go into the military. Yeah. Um, I, I have a very strong sense of loyalty to the to the military and yet i have but it's to the soldiers it's not to the system right and it's certainly not to the politicians who use these soldiers as mere pawns that can be Mm -hmm. discarded and and you know there's no value associated i mean how many people do you know how many jobs are there where that you have to risk your life and and potentially give your life for your country right besides uh besides police officers uh firefighters Mm -hmm. it's the military yeah yeah, and, and I look at this and I think, well, how long will it be from now, Dr. Batar, when there won't be enough healthy young, young adults, children going through to young adulthood without severe neurological deficit, damage, autism, etc.? And there have been some scary predictions about even if you want a constitutionally authorized military to defend your nation, you won't have the people to be able to do so because they'll have all been too injured before they even got into the military by what we would describe is, you know, a vaccine agenda that is not based or rooted in real sound science when it comes to, hey, what is our outcome here that we're after? Healthier kids, healthier adults, or weakened, diseased, and drug-dependent adults? Well, in another 25 to 30 years, you know, the estimates are already that one out of two people, one out of two children, will have autism, which means that if half the population, yeah, the, the pediatric population has autism, then... The other half is just going to be trying to keep up, trying to support those people, right? Sure. It's two point three to two point four million dollars of the lifetime of a child that's being that that has autism. We actually have a new website that it was just completed, Robert. Um, AutismDefined.net. Okay. AutismDefined.net, and the very first thing that you see, if you, I don't know if you can pull it up right now or not because your screen's frozen, but. The first thing you pull up is actually the numbers. We talk about the U.S. numbers and we talk about the international numbers and what's projected and then using the Centers for Disease Control's own numbers, what the actual numbers are. So they've projected, they've estimated, excuse me, 1% of the world's population has autism. The world's population right now is 7.6 billion. That makes it uh, 76 million people in the world have autism right now. This is per the CDC's own data. And what, when you start projecting the numbers that they're, they're talking about, it's more like around the 42 to 44 million. But then they are, their own statistics say 1% of the world's population has autism. That's 76 million people times $2.4 million of the lifetime, you know, assuming, assuming the U.S. cost. It's an unbelievable situation that they're creating. Yeah. And it's, it's our future generations we're talking about. It's the future of the human species is what we're talking about. 
Yeah, I see it. I've got the uh, website up. Everybody's looking at it right now, autismdefined.net. Super, don't add that to the notes. More than 3.5 million Americans live with an autism spectrum disorder. USA incidence of autism, 1 in 36 children per CDC, autism on the rise. Cost of autism is more than 2.4 million over a patient's life. Again, think of it, 1 in 2 that they're predicting. Uh, again, and even if there is a healthy population out of the one in two that didn't get diagnosed into the spectrum, how many of them have other neurological issues? And, and again, how many of a percentage of, a, of a, even the healthy adults go into the military? A fraction exactly. of a percent ultimately are in the military, and you take a fraction of the next fraction, and you find out how disastrous it's going to be if you need a military, exactly. right? Exactly. And, and by the way, those numbers that are there, for anybody who w- visits the website, again, it's autismdefined.net. And if you click on any of those numbers, they'll take you to the reference to the actual studies of where it's published, where those numbers came from. They weren't just arbitrarily pulled out. So, And if you're what, looking at the website and you think that there's somebody that could use that information, because that site is actually designed for empowerment so people understand. All the 11 videos, Robert, that we talked about with the... Uh, uh, the autism, def- uh, the autism truth videos. They're all there on one of those pages where it says videos, so people can go to one place and watch those eleven videos that basically talk about the truth when it comes to the vaccine issue, the vaccine injury, and the autism aspect, including footage from congressional testimony and such. So, if you guys, if anybody's watching that website or looking at that website, and you find that information to be empowering, pass it forward to somebody else that you think might benefit. There's nothing to buy there. There's nothing to sell. It's just information. Let people know about it, and then there's a link there for vanvcd.org where you can actually submit some data, and it's, it's incredible. What, what, it'll show you the truth, what vaccines do and what vaccines don't. So, you know, I'm going to be in Dell's show on Highwire, I think on the May 12th, uh, right okay, after Mother's about two week. weeks. All right, excellent. Yeah. Yes. And we're going to talk about VanVCD and the data there. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Hey, is there another webinar coming up? I definitely want to participate, uh, especially with Dr. Bruce Lipton and what, what's going on because we're getting ready. Advanced Medicine Conference coming up this month or next yep. month. We're almost there. We're so close. Yep. One month from now, exactly. So, yes, there is a webinar coming up, uh, The Emotional Basis of Cancer, and it's probably the, the most important aspect of cancer. So that's coming up this Thursday. And then next Thursday is the one with uh, Dr. Lipton. So, yeah, um, and uh, you and I can talk after the uh, after we sure. finish the broadcast today if you want to. Yeah, I, do I don't want to miss it. Do not want to. I'm on top of the world again, my friend, from where I was the last couple yeah, of weeks. I, I don't hear you hacking. Yeah, no, not hacking. Uh, just laughing, occasionally coughing because I'm laughing so hard. But, uh, you know, this is a, g- a good thing. We've come through it. And, uh, you know, again, I'm just so pleased about the autismdefined.net. We've got it linked up. I've shown everybody what that looks like. Uh, again, we've talked about the vaccine strain of measles being spread. And again, as, as always, Dr. Batar, without even reading the articles, is just mind melded into it. And it was great, you know, to open up with that. Now, uh, there's an article here that's not pleasant. And I think we're going to take a brief breather break. We're going to learn about some hemp CBD uh, while we're doing that. I want to talk about the no mercy for mothers or their vaccine injured children. Where's compassion in this whole thing? For those that claim to be, I care about you, I care about your health and the attacks on these mothers and their children. So stand by. We'll be back with more of Advanced Medicine. Check out advancedmedicine.com. Linked up in the show notes at robertscadbell.com, the place for health, freedom, and healing liberty right here with Dr. Rasha Bittar each and every week. Sorry about that. Back at it now. Dr. Bittar is with us. Uh, no mercy for mothers or their vaccine-injured children, Dr. Bittar. Our friend Barbara Lowe Fisher, who you know, uh, we had her on last week for a full hour. It was a terrific, terrific show and very important one. She's written a, an article, uh, opinion piece, No Mercy for Mothers of the Vaccine Injured Children. I'm thinking, 
you know, where's compassion in medicine? Where are the physicians, even if you believe with all of your religious fervor about vaccines in them, where is the compassion for those who have claimed to be injured by vaccines? Maybe you don't believe, but they're injured. There's, there's a problem here. These families are struggling. These children, clearly something happened. And instead of showing compassion and trying to get to the bottom of this, it's it's still ignoring, it's shouting, it's der, it's derogatory, it's deriding, it's 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 humiliating. And again, these people have suffered the ultimate in their children being injured or taken from them. Yeah, it's taking it to the next level of insult, and it's it's beyond it's beyond uh, it's beyond an insult to injury, Robert. It's one of the most um, despicable things because you know you're. You're promoting tolerance and promoting uh, fairness for everybody. And yet, at the same time, with the same breath, the same people that are preaching this tolerance are minimizing, so often demonizing people that have already been injured. And it's, I don't understand, I don't understand how a person can do that. And it seems to be a certain group of people, I, I don't want to get into the politics of this, because you know what? Sure, yeah. It's, uh, it's okay. probably the Thing for us to do politics and religion we should probably never talk about but yet you know what i'm talking you know where i'm going to go with this i know you yeah. like to go all the way there i'll just step back and let you take over from this one well uh, okay all right you know listen it, it's a it's about who uh, owns and controls our elected officials and bureaucrats and bureaucracies it's it's called regulatory capture and it's also called a religious belief i talk about religious fervor on these issues and, and you know you know it really is i mean why would you or how would you, you know, a decent person, like I said, if you went into modern medicine for the right reason, and you might have beliefs that are pro-vaccine, most do but still, mm-hmm. why would you then use that as a, a weapon against families who have children who were reported to be healthy, and then after a childhood visit, yeah, it's a well-baby visit to the pediatrician, they suddenly reverse and revert to go backwards or worse, you know, why wouldn't you say, hey, let's let's figure out what role we all may play here. But again, in the uh, uh, the CYA mentality of modern medicine, they don't even have to cover their you know what's because the whole system is set up to have no liability, no liability yeah. at all. So there's no risk, even if they were to acknowledge it, because under the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, the doctors who administer these things are also not they can't be sued for injecting this product that's on the CDC schedule. So tell me this, in your honest opinion, you know, deep down in your soul, from your core, how many of these people that say it's okay to do vaccines or that are pro-vaccine, how many of them do you think truly believe that what they're saying is beneficial to mankind? How many do you think? What percentage? Well, it's the true believers now you're talking about. In any group, I mean, it's going to be not the majority that are. They're going to be the, the, the followers, those that just kind of, it's conven- more convenient just to go along to get along. Mm-hmm. But the true believers are usually a smaller percentage of them, and they drive everything. They're like the gatekeepers, the controllers. They use fear and punish, fear of punishment and, you know, coercion and emotional, uh, comp- you know, those, those are typically not the majority. Everybody else just kind of is in the middle, kind of going along with whoever's got the, the, the bullhorn. You know what I'm saying? Yep, exactly. I was going to say maybe 5 or 10% of them. Yeah. So, so the rest of them are exactly what you said. They're complacent. They're going along. It's uh, less controversy to uh, it's less controversial to argue. It's just easier to go along with whatever, whoever's leading the yeah. leading the charge. So it is pretty sad that it's always a small small portion of the community that's really pushing this. 
and yet ignoring the injuries of literally, well, you saw the statistics, 76 million people on the planet. And in the U.S., it's uh, whatever the number is there. Um, I don't remember exactly the numbers, but you can go to the website, autismdefined.net, and look at it. But it's well over 2 million just in the U.S. alone. That's a really, really sad, sad statistic that on this time on the planet, in, in this incredible enlightenment time, as we're coming closer to an ascension from a planetary standpoint, that we are sitting and maiming the most vulnerable population that is responsible for our future. So we're annihilating the, the one group. And by the way, Robert, you know that I've talked about this in the past. It's only mm-hmm. affecting the most intelligent, the cognitively superior group. One of the videos on autismdefined.net, if you go to the video section, one of the videos actually talks about cognitive superiority and, and how I discovered this and, and you know what I have observed after treating thousands of children and having talked with parents at conferences and presented some of the data. This is only affecting the most cognitively superior group. So it's almost, it's almost a targeted assault against the future of mankind. Yeah, it is. I'm going up back to autismdefined.net so everybody can see what he's talking about. Up on the top, and you can't see that, but there are uh, little ban- little uh, uh, hyperlinks and videos takes you to questions about an- answer questions and answers, including the autism truth part one, immune response, and these were fantastic. Uh, these are more recent in what they had developed, but as you say, there are answers to many questions people have. There are links at the bottom to vanvcd.org, and you're going to be talking with Dell Bigtree, uh, updating everybody about the reports of parents and, and uh, uh, of those children who have been fully vaccinated, partially vaccinated or not vaccinated at all. What are their, what's their status? What's their health status? What's the, how are they doing in school? Things like that. And it's stunning, shocking, even the information available to you there. So uh, keep an eye on that. And uh, do we still have uh, Dell presenting uh, at the uh, autism uh, or the advanced uh, medicine conference? Cause I know how busy he is. Yes, absolutely. He's going to be there. I think he's going to be speaking on Saturday. Okay. Excellent. Really looking forward to that. Dell brings it everywhere he goes. As uh, I said, when I went to uh, uh, um, Canada recently, he was disinvited because one of the sponsors connected to one of the major sports teams was concerned about the overt discussion of the vaccine issue, the way that Dell does it. And it tells you how fearful they are mm-hmm. of any discussion that brings up these inconvenient facts about yeah. the lack of safety studies, for instance, and you know the things we're talking about that are in the mainstream news of all things. Of course, they're going to be slanting it in a different way that we're going to be discussing it. Uh, but by and large, we can't wait for those opportunities. We have to create those opportunities, and that's why I've, I've, I've encouraged folks to take what they learn here or elsewhere or from the Advanced Medicine Conference and take it to your neighborhoods, take it to your churches, your synagogues, your mosques, and talk about it one-on-one to the people that you know are in your community. You have some level of discussion ability with them because the mainstream media is not going to support this movement. Even if they're able to censor us, they won't be able to censor your ability to speak to your neighbor. And we've got to get back to talking to people like that. Yeah, I completely agree, Robert. That's a very important part of it. Um, I think that when people get fearful, that that's an indication when uh, they disinvited Dell. You know, people get fearful. It pretty much puts the writing on the wall. You know what the truth is. And I think that regardless of what people believe with this fake media stuff, the media is unbelievably fake. The, the message, the propaganda, the, you know, the freedom of speech aspect is taken into a totally different meaning now because you think the freedom of speech means 
that we as as a populace have the freedom to speak, but it's actually given, if anything, the media is taking the ability to take their message and manipulate it, uh, propagandize it, and do whatever they want to do with it. And that's underneath the, the, uh, the flag of freedom of speech. I was amazed to find out just recently, in fact, I think it was you that told me this last year, that before the 1970s, or was it maybe 1980s, pharmaceutical companies were not allowed by by law, not allowed to advertise. And in fact, the United States is one of the few nations, maybe a handful of nations. Two, well, two, two nations, New Zealand and America, United States can uh, broadcast direct to consumer advertising of, of prescription drugs. Ask your doctor about, ask your doctor about. And obviously they wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't successful. It's driving and driven tremendous sales advances that doctors could never have achieved just by looking at the patient going, maybe you should try this new drug. It's like they're coming in going, hey, what about this new drug, doctor? This sounds really good. Yeah, it's just amazing. I, I had no idea that that was the case before the nineteen before what nineteen seventies. They couldn't do that here in the U.S. either, right? Might have been eighties at that point. I, can't, I don't remember the date where that transitioned, but yeah, that is a big problem. And of course, if if the media were deprived of the billions of dollars of ad revenue that is coming in from big pharma, they would not be so. Uh, how would we say um, attacking of our viewpoint? Because it wouldn't hit their bottom line. Obviously, if Big Pharma pays 70% of your freight, you're not going to editorialize in the evening news where 17 out of 22 ads are going to be pharma ads uh, to talk about dangers of pharmaceutical drugs or drug products or vaccines. So the built-in bias of the mainstream media, as it is, you cannot expect that they're going to give a fair shake to these discussions that, like we have in our media that takes no money from Big Pharma. In fact... Uh, the opposite. We're probably not doing as well economically because we're not taking easy money. Well, that's the funny part. If you want to look at what the motivation is, just follow the money trail. So get a forensic account there, and then you'll start seeing what's motivating this misinformation, this propaganda. It's money. Yeah. Well, what motivates uh, positivity? To look optimistically about the future, the glass half full, how optimistic. And I, we love this subject here. Dr. Batar loves this subject. We talk about the emotions, the psychology of health and healing. The glass half full, how optimism can bias in serious illness. Here's an article at Medical Express out of the University of Vermont. And they're talking about, well, most people think optimism is a good thing. But what about end of life stage uh, oncology treatments? In the journal Psycho-Oncology, they detail how seriously ill patients' optimism can impact, it can impact a clinician's survival prognosis and palliative care conversation. So we've got to talk about it in context here because obviously if they're coming to see someone like you, you're not typically doing palliative care. You're giving people an opportunity to come out of supposedly incurable places, according to traditional or allopathic oncology, the dominant model. And they're going, hey, we don't want to give false optimism, right? False hope. Have you heard about that? And so how do we make peace with this concept? Well, you know that my charges that were brought against me in 2005 that resulted in the 14 million of lost revenue and legal fees and all the other stuff that happened, that was what it came down to, that I was accused of giving false hope to patients. And the, the week that everything was uh, finalized, which we had to go to Superior Court after two trials and such. And, of course, I had unrestricted license to practice, but, you know, 14 million you know, 
I mean, lost the medical officers. Now yeah, eight, eight figures yeah. deep, man. You, you talk about standing up on principle. It would have been a whole lot easier to enter into like a, okay, consent decree, and you can still practice, and we'll drop it. You admit whatever, but it's like, no, no, on principle, I'm standing up for what's right. That's, again, one of the, you know, why we're aligned so so well. And, and you know, we believe in principle so much that even that when it's inconvenient, we're not going to abandon it because it's inconvenient. Well, that same week, Robert, what was fun, uh, funny was that the president of the American Medical Association resigned, or not, didn't resign, I'm sorry, he stepped down. And he stepped down because he had pancreatic cancer. And in his final speech, this is the same week that the, my case was ending, he makes a statement. He says, um, I, my last thing that I want to say to the doctors in, in North America is that if you are dealing with a patient, somebody like me, with pancreatic cancer, he said, I know what my chances are. I know it's... Uh, one-year survival is 2%, and two-year survival is 0%. But you should never, ever take away any hope from your patient. And I'm like, so you couldn't have had the speech seven years earlier? The president of the AMA is talking about, you know, never false take hope. away hope. And yet they had accused me of false hope. I mean, by think about it for a second. What an oxymoron. How can you have false hope? By definition, hope cannot be false. So how can you call it false hope? If it's hope, it's hope. If it's not hope, then there's no, you know, then there's no hope. But you can't call right. it false hope because... The word hope in itself, by definition, is you can't, it can't be false. If it's false, then it's not hope. Right, so, exactly. So, so it's, it's ludicrous when it comes down to this end-of-life palliative type conversation because if somebody came to me, um, I actually had a situation like this uh, about three years ago when this guy came in, and it was interesting because he was with his wife, his mother, and his daughter. So three generations of women in his family were with him. And he came into the office, and he had squamous cell carcinoma at the throat, and it had basically eroded very – it was like a millimeter and a half away from the carotid arteries. And he was told that there was nothing they could do because the cancer would erode into the carotid, and he would basically exsanguinate. He'd bleed to death, and there was the, the tissue was too friable. There was nothing that they could do. They couldn't do a resection. So he came into the office, and he's crying, and he's crying, and he's crying, and he's crying, and he's crying. 45 minutes I sat there listening to this guy crying, and I was – I finally just got tired of him crying. And, you know, and he's crying because he's going to die, right? So I said, well, listen, I've got patients to go. So I, and I kind of pushed off the table and I, I was in the conference room in the clinic. And he said, whoa, 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 wait a second. And he's crying, the tears everywhere. And he goes, aren't you going to help me? I said, help you with what? He goes, with my cancer. I said, you've spent 45 minutes telling me how you're going to die. There's nothing I can do for you. You've told me 45 minutes. You've been trying to brainwash me that you can die. I, I don't have to, I have to go take care of people that really want to live. So I, I have nothing to, for you. But, but I was told that you could help me. I said, how can I help you? You've already told me you're going to be dead in two weeks. There's nothing that I can. Nobody can do anything for you. If Christ came down himself, God came down himself, couldn't do anything for you because you've already determined that you're going to be dead in two weeks. You know, and it was like a verbal slap because that was the first time the guy stopped crying. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at his wife for assistance, his mom, his daughter. And they were all embarrassed by him because all the guy did was stand. He whimpered like, like a beaten dog. And I'm like, if you think that you're going to die in two weeks, guess what's going to happen? You're going to die in two weeks. It's not rocket science. Like Henry Ford said, right? Whatever you believe or you don't, you're right. It's going to happen. So this thing with palliative care and, you know, end of life, blah, blah, blah. If, you've got, if a person comes in and the doctor starts talking about this topic as, as end of life, it's game over. I mean, why right. even go? To me, Go fishing. If that's what, if you're going to go and find a doctor, that's the only type of people you've got choice A, B, and C. They're all going to talk about palliative care. Go fishing. But in, you know, in, fishing in with that, that cancer, doctors. Yeah, right. They don't go through chemo. They don't go through radiation. They go they fishing. They go fishing. Or they call homeopaths and naturopaths. You know, right. 
the the idea here, of course, in palliative care, of the, the oncologists themselves carry the belief of that patient for the most part, don't yes. they? And they and they they're the ones that impose the belief on that. The patient didn't yes. know. It's like suddenly, it's like uh, you're telling me this, and now they're coming to you crying. You don't hold that belief. They hold it. You got to go away. It's like I don't share the belief, but if you do, it's real. So what do we got to do? We got to start there, as you said. The most important thing in the world is belief. Right. And that's been, you know, one of the controversies of all the advanced medicine conferences. When you ask that question, I don't want to give anything away like it's a spoiler, but hopefully people know you by now. When you ask that question, what it is and how you show the proof of that. If you don't start with the belief, you're you're jumping the you know, you're putting the cart before the horse, you know, all the other stuff. What are you going to do if you don't even believe it's going to be possible for you to live? So that's such an important point here in regards to what they're saying in their environment. If you want to participate in their environment, expect that. They're going to dissuade you from hope of any kind because they don't have it. Yeah, they don't a, have it. That's such an important topic too, Robert, because before anything was able to be achieved on this planet, before any building was built or cars were you know, made or flight was possible, the first thing that it had before anything was there had to have been a thought about this. Mm-hmm. And there would have been no possibility of a thought unless somebody believed that it was possible. So yeah. this belief aspect is every. I mean, it defines everything. And when we start talking about with a person that comes in that has been, as you said, the oncologist carries that belief. When you when you have a person that comes into your office and they have now essentially been indoctrinated by somebody else with their belief, which is going to impact their own life, and they come in and you have to now unwind that, it only takes a couple of times before you start having a truly deep down disdain mm-hmm. for that group that carries that belief for people. And if there's one message that, you know, from today's show or from, from our shows that you take for the listeners is understand that you yourself are the one that has been appointed the guardianship of your body. And if you're going to turn that responsibility over, as Robert said, somebody else is carrying the belief. If you're going to turn over your responsibility of your body or your child's body, your child's life to somebody else who's carrying their belief mm-hmm. instead of your belief, you've already made a mistake because this is your body. It's your belief. It's the, it could be the ultimate mistake again. And we've been granted the freedom to make those mistakes. And um, I'm really grateful for that because I've learned the greatest lessons from my mistakes, my choices that I made. Nobody, nobody made them for me. I mean, I can blame mom and dad. Mom and dad, how dare you raise me as in a medical family? It's like, dude, that's not the, it, this is, this is, you know, these choices are made and what do we make of them? What do we do with them? And, you know, for us to be here broadcasting all these years later together, it's because of our life experience. Now, our beliefs sometimes are beaten out of us. Sometimes it's like, you know, we believe that something is true. And that, yeah, well, but, but I'm talking about the wrong beliefs, you know, to get us to this point, right? I've had wrong beliefs that were beaten out of me by my own experience and being and trusting doctors. Uh, you know, ultimately, I could still believe it despite the abuse that the medical profession dishes out. But I was like pragmatic and said, you know what? You guys don't know what you're doing or you're lying. Either one, it's not good for me. I got to leave and find another way. And so life provides for us because I have a belief that life is always trying to help us make better choices, better decisions, so that even the places we end up cursing and going, darn it, why me, Lord? It's like, well, because I love you enough to allow you to experience this so that you can learn the things you need to learn to make better choices. Absolutely. Absolutely. Beautifully said, Robert. That's a a very, very important message and beautifully said. One of the things that it, it... 
escapes us as human beings is that those things that are happening to us are happening for a purpose so that we can learn and we can happening for us. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's that chaotic component that we see as chaos, but it's actually an evolutionary change because you cannot have growth unless you have a a disruption to the status quo so that Mm -hmm. the new can come in. The old has to go before the new can come in. So, you know, one of the, one of the empowerment components for me personally is, you know, when you and I have talked about this on the air and off the air is seeing the change that occurs in individuals and, and the change that occurs in ourselves as human beings and embracing that change because that it's a process that you have to go through anyway. Right. And mm-hmm. to embrace it. And, and you, I think I told you, Robert, what happened last week, you know, personally um, in the clinic to embrace the change. And now you can see the beauty as soon as you start, as soon as you embrace it, yeah. you start seeing the beauty of it. That, that is the key. If cancer occurs in your life, God forbid, or something else happens, my the most successful patients that I have that, that are now five, 10 years out. They that, find the gift in it. That's exactly it. They yeah. see it as a blessing. How can you see cancer as a blessing? Because they realize that had they not gotten the wake-up call, because that's mm-hmm. all cancer is a wake-up call, they would have been dead. Speaking cancer of blessings and gifts, it would be a blessing and a gift if you can hang out extra. Do some okay. extra innings today. You can. Yeah, Usually absolutely. you can. Usually me, I have to run around. We have extra time. And we've got a lot of questions and comments. Super Don's been monitoring the feed. And I know you guys, you have feeds as well going out through either Instagram or Facebook Live. So we're going to take a pre- brief break. Officially, uh, well, um, advanced medicine is over just for this week. But not, it's not really. We're going to do some bonus extra innings with Dr. Rasha Batar. Tell them what they need to know before we go. And then we'll be right back. The power to heal is unequivocally yours. All right. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show. 